Well, guys, we are winding down on Second Thessalonians. Uh, we're in the, the, the last chapter. Um, we're really kind of in the last couple of sections of the last chapter. Uh, and as I teach this week and next week, we're going to be um, most of the way through the book by the time we finish. And it's been a great study. Honestly, I feel like First and Second Thessalonians have so much to speak to a growing church, which even though countryside is big, it continues to grow, and uh, uh, good things as a reminder for us. Um, and really, overall, if you've been through our study, this sounds really bad, um, if you've been through our study, the, Paul's overwhelmingly positive towards the Thessalonians and, and the, the church in Thessalonica. And the, he's encouraged by so much, and he's encouraged them over and over again to, to continue on and to continue to grow and continue to, to show love and, and all these things. And there's so many positive things happening in the church. And yet Paul has heard and, and has seen perhaps the beginnings of this is seeing that there are some problems that need to be dealt with. And so as we transition into this last segment of uh, 2 Thessalonians, Paul himself is going to transition, and he's going to go from a lot of the praise and the encouragement and the, the, the things that, that he said positively, and he's going to deal with a couple of things that are going on that are a little bit negative. And so as we deal with that, we've got to consider ourselves, how do we deal with things in the church when people aren't doing what they're supposed to? Because as much as we'd love to, and I don't think any of us are walking perfectly with the Lord, we're not faithful to the Lord in the same ways that we, we have been called to. And so this gives us at least some, some ideas of what to do. And as we talk today, we're going to look at what Paul commands the church at Thessalonica. And um, we're going to see it's, it's uh, the part of church life we might not like so much. Okay, so let's... Let's read the passage together and then we'll, we'll get into it. So this is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. It says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you have received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. So as we get into this section, we're going to see first of all that Paul commands separation. Okay, there, in this passage, Paul is going to give a command and he's going to say that you need to keep away from certain people. Okay, and so we have first the, the strength of the command. First of all, the fact that Paul is giving a command. If you look at the rest of 2 Thessalonians, I, I'm just highlighting a few of the verbs that he's used and the, the way he has given instruction to the church he says, we, we request you. Uh, he says, let no one deceive you. He's, he's kind of, again, this is a gentle thing. Do you not remember? He says, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught. He, in chapter 3, where, where Milt was, he, pray for us. 
And, and may the Lord direct your hearts. You get this idea that Paul is coming alongside these Thessalonian believers that he loves and he cares about, and they're doing so many things well, and he's been just saying, hey, let's keep going. It's us together. Let's do this. But as we get into this section, Paul now changes, right? Now we command you. Right, Paul, you can almost hear, okay, this is the dad voice coming, you know, that says, okay, it's time to pay attention to some issues that we need to deal with in this church. And so as he, as he comes, he's not just, again, Paul being Paul, doesn't just say, hey, listen to me because I'm Paul, right? We might do that as parents sometimes, listen to me because I'm dad, or listen to me because I'm mom. We don't get to do that, or listen to me because I'm, I'm in charge, I'm the boss, right? Paul doesn't communicate that they should listen because of him he says they should listen because he speaks in the name of the lord jesus christ right paul's authority comes from jesus christ and so when he speaks it's not that paul's on an ego trip it's that paul is speaking the things that the the lord himself the lord of our church desires now we as teachers and pastors and leaders can't speak with that authority nowadays. If I come to you and I say, I'm speaking because the Lord Jesus Christ gave me a command to give you, you should probably tell me to shut down the mic and get out of here, okay? But we have God's Word, and that gives us God's Word and God's authority. And so when we open God's Word, that's what we're doing as teachers and leaders. Paul obviously was in a different situation as an apostle called directly by Jesus Christ. And so here he is giving a commandment from the Lord, and it adds authority, it adds weight to this command. So the idea is that this is not something that the Thessalonians should kind of let go in one ear and out the other. And ultimately it means that we also should not uh, ignore that. You know, Paul pulls out, I, I say pulls out, he uses this this authority throughout his epistles to help understand that when he speaks especially in in things that are uh, causing some dissension or causing some some problems in the church that Paul need or the church and the people that he's writing to need to understand that this is God's message to them and so in first Thessalonians chapter 4 as he's commanding the Thessalonians back then. He says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus. Right? Again, in the Lord Jesus, right? This, this authority, this is an exhortation that comes direct from the authority of Jesus Christ, that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, and then he goes on to say that you excel still more. Right? To keep going. That That, that is... Jesus' desire for his believers that they would continue to excel still more. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul is talking obviously directly to Timothy. And he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ and of his chosen angels. Again, Paul's kind of stacking this, this higher and higher. This is important, Timothy, that you maintain these principles without bias doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. 
Later on in, in chapter, chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, he says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in his final command to Timothy, in 2 Timothy, he, he again uses and calls upon the authority of Jesus Christ. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. And again, that's Paul's command, that's God's command to every man of God that would open up the Bible and teach, is that they would preach the word. Right? And it comes not authority because man says so, but because this is what Jesus himself desires for his church. So when Paul is using this, when he says, I'm commanding you in the, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we need to understand that Paul's taking this seriously. This is not a minor thing for him. And so we need to try to figure out why is that such a big deal? And, and what, what are we supposed to do with that? And so we get into, <coughs> excuse me, we get into the extent of the command. It says, how far is this, who is this command for? How far does it go? And it says that this is, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you have received from us. So we have this picture of Paul commanding that this is to relate to every unruly brother. And he's going to give some description there of what that looks like. But the command, the actual command, is the Greek word is to keep away, to avoid, to take precaution the, the, the word picture, Robertson's one of the, those scholar people that knows a lot more about Greek than I do, but what he said was that the, the picture is to shorten the sails, right? To not let a more wind get in behind it and direct the ship the wrong way. And so this is really why I think Paul is so concerned about this is because this kind of life where men are leading unruly lives, men are not following the teachings of the apostles, can lead the church astray. And so he's very concerned about that, and he is commanding the church at large in Thessalonica to make sure they don't get influenced by that. Keep away. Keep away. The, the reality is that is it talks about unruly those that are leading an unruly life, the word is that it's disorderly or irresponsible. Um, again, Robertson says that this is a military term. It's someone out of ranks. So if you've ever been around military parades or military presentations, right, everybody is lined up perfectly, you know, frontwards and sideways, right? Every, every direction you look, it's all lined up the right way. But this one guy is out of line, right? He's not where he's supposed to be. He's not standing in ranks. And Paul says that that person in our church, we have to keep away from. Okay? 
So that again, we're going to get into what what specific things he's teaching in in a moment. But I want to take a minute and step back because it brought the question in my mind as I studied, and and maybe it's a question you have: is okay, when, how are we supposed to deal with people in the church that are sinning, right? That are living in a pattern of sin or or aren't doing the right thing? Because really, there's there's a lot that the church talks about that, a lot that the Bible talks about that. And so we need to understand how do we respond rightly, right? Because there is a time where the Bible says we need to confront. There is a time where the Bible says we need to separate completely from them. You know, that Paul here is saying keep away, which is the idea of kind of avoid. Don't, don't be caught up in the same circles as they are and that kind of thing. So the question is, why do we need to do this? And how do we do that in our church today? Again, not looking at any specific people at Countryside, but, but how do we do this rightly? And so I'm going to go through a few passages that Paul teaches about how to deal with someone in the church that's not doing what they're supposed to do. Okay, And obviously, the, the first reason I go through this is to make sure, as we read through this, that none of you are that person. Right? My desire is that y'all are the ones that are in line. You are the ones who are leading the disciplined life and living according to the principles given by Paul. But then also, what do I do when I see brothers or sisters around me that are out of line? How do I deal with that? Um, and, and this gives us some. This is probably not a, a, a complete picture of every single situation and every single circumstance. Obviously, when there's issues like this, there needs to be a prayer for much wisdom. There may need to be times to take it to uh, a leader, whether that's the Sunday school teacher or, or another leader of our ministry, especially if that person's involved in that. But Paul has a lot to say about this issue, and I want us to walk through some of that together. So in 2 Thessalonians, a little bit farther down, I'm not going to steal thunder from, from another lesson, but Paul does say, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. And so again, that sounds really harsh and it's, it is a strong command, but it also says in verse 15, yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. And I think that... Um, principle is vital as we consider that first of all in this passage and in, in many of the others Paul is talking specifically about true believers that believers can walk in error just like you and I can and sometimes our, our sin habits our sin patterns are not the same as some others it might not be as visible as others but Paul says that we need to make sure we don't regard people as enemies just because they're sinning, just because they're struggling, but that we are coming to them as a brother. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul speaks specifically about those that don't work hard, which again is the, the, the principal focus of this section in 2 Thessalonians. But he talks about that all in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, verses 1 through 6. I'm not going to read all of it, but it says that all that are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. 
And so there, honestly, Paul gives a, a biblical definition of what it means to be a good worker. Right? Slaves at that time was, was, was what we would most clo- closely associate with employees. That they're to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, not because the master is worthy of all honor, <laughs> not because the master is always doing the right thing, not because the master always makes the decision you agree with, but because we want the name of God and our doctrine to not be spoken against. It's our testimony. So again, we're going to get into this more next week, but our work ethic, both inside the church and outside the church, is a demonstration, or should be a demonstration, of the the change that Christ has made in our lives. It is a, a strong part of our testimony. Or, as we might find, it could be something that's destroying and unraveling your testimony. If you're not working hard, if you're not submitting to your master the right way, that can be a problem. In verse 3 of chapter 6 in 1 Timothy, it says, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. Right? He has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words and all of these things and out of which those arrive envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved minds and depraved, are deprived of the truth. And he says, you know, if you have somebody that's spending more time, and again, this seemed to be a prevalent issue at the early church stage, it's an issue in Thessalonica, that spends a lot of time talking about random to- uh, doctrinal topics, you know, talking about issues and concerns, and they're wanting to discuss and stir up problems but they're not working hard at the job that they have. They are not walking according to Paul's command and therefore they're not walking according to the Lord's command. It says that that godliness, and he's talking about that godliness, that putting your head down and just getting your job done is is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. And so Paul is, is, is speaking directly to the same issue as he was in Thessalonica. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verses 15 and 16 says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it may many be defiled, that there be no immoral and godless person. And so he's, he's saying, make sure we don't let this stuff in our church. And so what is this person? It says, verse 16, that they're the immoral and godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal, right? The picture is there that, that he didn't recognize the value of what he had, that he was giving away something that was infinitely valuable just, just for a meal, right? We know that story from Genesis as, as y'all went through that uh, re, uh, over the last couple of years, right? That, that there are people that are looking for shortcuts, that are lazy, that are just trying to get what they need right this second, but they're not willing to put in the work over the long haul. Now, Paul also deals with not just issues of work, which is the, the, the topic at hand in, in Thessalonians, but others. In, in Romans chapter 16, verse 17, he talks about those who cause dissensions. And he says, Now I urge you, brethren, 
Keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. This is the same kind of picture of keep away, right? To separate yourself from them. If they're causing dissensions, then you need to not be their best friend. Okay, and again, I know with this, none of this is saying never speak to them, never talk to them, be rude to them, ignore them when they talk to you. But it's who are you spending your time with? Who are you really close to? Who are you becoming uh, are encouraging and being around? Right in Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, it talks about those that are divisive, which is similar to dissensions. In verse 10, it says, Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. <coughs> in 2 John, just so you know, this wasn't just Paul's hobby horse. This was other writers of the, of the Scriptures teaching this as well. 2 John chapter 10, or verse 10, talks about those that teach something different than what the apostles have taught. It says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. Right? That's a warning about what, what teachers we allow in the church and how we respond to those that are teaching falsely. Right? Paul's uh, probably infamous uh, picture of that is in Galatians chapter 1, where he says, Brother, if, or, I'm sorry, uh, Galatians, where did I put it? Uh-oh. I'll have to go old school and turn to it. In Galatians chapter 1, where Paul talks about that if someone comes teaching another gospel, you can't accept that. Verse 6 of chapter 1 in Galatians says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. This is verse 7, but it's not really another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ Verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Right? So again, we're, we're, when it gets to something as important as the gospel, there's not even, there's not even a, well, let's try to talk to him as a brother. Right? That person is an unbeliever, needs to be treated as an unbeliever. And so when it comes to something regarding teaching, Paul holds the standard very high. All of the New Testament holds the standard very high. And so th that's a different issue than, than our more horizontal brothers and sisters in Christ, those that are, are walking alongside us. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about those that are in open sin. They're living in open sin in the world. And, and he puts an interesting picture here about what it means to be in the world and how to interact with those that are sinners by nature versus how we deal with those that are sinning within the church. In verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, he says, but actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother, if he is an immoral person 
or covetous, or an idolater, or a a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. He says, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Do you judge those who are within the church? Or do you not judge those who are within the church? But to those who are outside, God judges. And he commands the church in Corinth, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. So again, there's a place, there's a time where when these, these patterns of sin, when these behaviors get so bad that they have to be dealt with. And especially when it's blatant open sin. And that leads ultimately to the pattern of church discipline that Jesus gave us. As he even talks about the church, it says in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, he says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So again, we see Jesus has, a, has, has in his mind a picture of what confrontation would look like in the church. Paul is teaching the Thessalonians, I believe, really some of the first step there. He's going to teach as it goes forward. He's going to talk about it. But if someone sins, we don't run right to the pastor and say, I saw this happen, right? Um, in our, our world, it's, it's running to your parents and tattling, Mom, they did that. They took my thing. They made fun of me. Right? But we have so many things that we can do to help restore. If you look at that, all of that is that you could win your brother back. That he would repent and turn back. Right? So the attitude when we go and confront is not to be harsh. Even as we said in, in Thessalonians, the, the verse 15, to regard him not as an enemy, but as a brother. But the question is, do we do that? How do we do that? I mean, it, uh, it's easy, I think, to have kind of two or three responses that are outside of what Paul teaches. Right? One response is we see that person sinning. We see some, some pattern of sin developing or, or showing itself, and we probably go, I can't believe that guy. Man, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. Oops, that's probably not the right attitude, is it? Right? We might go, Milt, you seen that guy? Look at what that guy's doing. Man, can you believe that? Again, not the right response. Right? Or we might go just again, full shun. Right? Okay, I'm closing the door. I won't talk to that person anymore. I won't be around that person anymore. I'm not going to be civil with them anymore. Well, that's not what God wants either. Right? The picture is of restoration. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul's kind of interesting. Paul starts the letter talking about those teaching another doctrine and, and how we respond to that. In chapter 6, he, he ends with, or, or starts out his last chapter with, how do we encourage and bring back the brother who's sinning? It says, brethren, 
if even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. It says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load. He says, we see sin in the church. It's going to happen, right? I love countryside. It is not perfect. The people at Countryside are not perfect. Spoiler alert, I am not perfect. Okay? Milt even isn't perfect. Okay? He's a faithful, godly man, and I praise the Lord for him, but he's not perfect. Right? None of us are. And so we're going to have issues in the church. Some of those issues are going to be interpersonal, right? Where you and I get a little crosswise about something. And we got a little tension every time we see each other, right? We're going to see patterns of sin. Maybe you see an anger that's, that's showing itself as a, as a father walks along with his kids and he's frustrated and trying to get them to herd where they're supposed to go, you know, that kind of thing. There's lots of things we can see, we can hear, but if we're coming at it and pointing fingers and kind of scoffing, or we're coming alongside, hey, look at that person. Look at what they're doing. We're not dealing with it the right way. Right? Paul says, first of all, we need to, if we're spiritual, that means are we spirit-led? Are we spirit-filled in our lives? Are we walking with the Lord faithfully? We need to try to restore one with a spirit of gentleness, looking first to ourselves so that we won't be tempted. And again, some of that temptation may come with a temptation to partake in the same sin, but I think, honestly, the, the temptation there that Paul's talking about is the temptation to pride. Right To think, oh, I am so much better than that person. That's not what Paul wants, and that's not what God wants either. So I think the question we have to ask is, why is it that this comes up in Paul's teaching so often? I mean, this is not uh, an exhaustive list. that Paul teaches on this in almost every one of his letters, dealing with sin. Well, I think one of the things is reality is, is that there's sin in the church, right? There is no perfect church. And so there's always going to be sin in the church. There's going to be sinners redeemed by the blood of Christ, but they're still sinners. They're still going to do things they shouldn't do. And so it, it's, it'd be kind of, uh, you know, looking with rose-colored glasses if Paul just ignored that fact and just said, oh, just all do exactly what I said, and I know it's all going to work out perfectly. No, he knows that's not going to be, so he wants to deal with that. But I think he also really wants us to understand there's warnings here. There's warnings throughout Scripture about who we spend a lot of time with. Again, when it, when it talks about keep away, when it talks about but, you know, do not associate with that person, we're not saying ignore them and never speak to them. We're not even saying that you can't ask, how was your week? How's your family? How can I pray for you this week? You know, those kinds of things. But what we need to understand, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived bad company corrupts good morals. And if we're closely associated with people who are walking in a pattern of sin, the reality is, as Proverbs says, he who walks with wise men will be wise. Um, 
but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Right? You can't hang out with people that are not walking with the Lord, that are living in patterns of sin, and expect that somehow that's never going to impact you. And so you have to be careful, and that's why Paul says there, there needs to be some distance there. Yes, there's a time and a place, especially if that sin has directly impacted you or directly affected you or you've directly witnessed a, a pattern of sin in a person where you may need, may need to go confront them. Like it says in Galatians 6, gently with a spirit of, of humility, right? Coming, coming to them realizing you're not perfect either, but you don't need to spend a ton of time with them. If someone is, is rejecting the teaching of the church or is, or is going against the teaching of the church, that's probably not the someone you need to try to go to breakfast or lunch with a lot. You know, that's not the one you want to have a one-on-one -on -one Bible study with. Like, that's someone you might want to pray for and encourage, but you may not want to be spending a lot of time with them because you might find that while you're hoping to rub off on them, they're really rubbing off on you. You know, I, I remember the term... Maybe it's outdated now, but I remember the term missionary dating. You know, this idea that, okay, as a Christian, I'll, I'll date someone that's not a Christian and, and I'll be able to bring her to church and it'll be, you know, that didn't happen. Sarah's far better than I was to this day. But we met at Countryside, thank the Lord that I didn't have to try to do any missionary dating. But I heard that term and I remember hearing like that and thinking, oh, how foolish. Oh, how foolish to think that, that somehow my you know, young male you know, hormones are going to not be at all impacted by this worldly girl and I'm going to just be able to do what God wants me to do and pull her in. No, it doesn't work. And it really doesn't work even in friendships. If we are around someone who's constantly grumbling, angry, dissenting against the church, it's going to come out. You're going to start saying, I see that. You know what? I hadn't noticed that before, but boy, that's true. That is a problem, isn't it? Oh, let me explain the term. Missionary dating is the idea that uh, I'm going to go out and find a girl that's not a Christian at all, and I'm going to have a close relationship with her. I'm going to date her with the hope that I will bring her to Christ, right? When Paul clearly teaches that we're not to be joined together with unbelievers. So missionaries teaching, going and, and proclaiming the gospel and bringing people to the church, absolutely. But they're not going and saying, I'm going to go date that girl so that I can try to bring her into the church. It's a, there's a, a difference there. So I, I, I want to make sure, yeah, I'm not, not discounting the work of missionaries. That's, we should all be doing that. But it's those that you're the closest with, right? Those close relationships if you're surrounding yourselves and spending most of your time with those that are not walking faithfully with the Lord, it's going to have a negative impact at some point in your life. Right? The goal is that the people that you're the closest to are fellow believers that are walking faithfully with the Lord that you can learn and grow and encourage each other in. Missionaries, you know, going out and talking to others about the gospel and teaching them the truth, absolutely, and you become you want to include them, right? You can bring them to church. You can take them to dinner and that kind of thing. You just don't want to be that be your most of your close connections, your close relationships, because it can have a, a negative effect. You know, what Paul is saying is it's important who we really spend our time with, right? In the church, right? And, it, and he commands us all, be sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. 
right? I mean, the reality is, is all of us in the church needs to, to hear this every once in a while. Hey, just stop it. Stop sinning. It's not okay to just keep sinning, right? But it's definitely not good to be surrounding yourself with those that are in a pattern of sin. It will negatively impact you. Okay, so we, we, we went long, and I, I tried to space it out in, this, in the, the, the outline just to show that we're going to spend a little bit more time on that letter B because I wanted to give a big picture there, kind of step back a little bit. But we're going to step back into the passage and talk about the audience of the command, letter C under number one, the audience of the command. And really, again, you need to understand that this, this, the audience of what Paul's commanding is not to the unruly brother. It's to those in the church. So we look again, it says, we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. So understand, as Paul is talking here, he's speaking to the, what should be hopefully the majority of the church that has a desire to, a willingness to, walk in an orderly way, in a disciplined life, and, and that this is just the command to say, hey, those that you see that are outside of the bounds, outside of the rules, they're, they're not lining up like they need to, you need to keep away. He's not telling the, the, those that are, that are unruly to keep away, because guess what? They're unruly they're probably not going to listen to Paul anyway. But he's going to say, you need to do this. When he talks about the traditions, I know that traditions sometimes can be a loaded word, right? Especially if you came from a, a Catholic background where you're, you're taught so many times that the, the traditions are basically equal with Scripture or in some cases even more important than Scripture. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Okay, as Paul is speaking on the traditions that you receive from us, he is saying that the teaching that came from Paul, came from the apostles, right? The, the, the actual word um, is the handing over. You know, the things that have been handed down and handed over from Jesus to the apostles to the churches, right? And those things now have been have been combined and compiled into the Scripture. So that as we read God's Word in the New Testament, we know that that is the things we need to obey. Right? So it's not every tradition that's come since Paul's day. It's not every tradition that the Roman Catholic or any other church comes up with. Paul's talking specifically about those traditions, those teachings that have come from the apostles. And those obviously were rooted and grounded in what came from Jesus Christ. So don't, don't be worried there. Well, that, that's true. Yeah, it, it's all built on the foundation of the, 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 the prophets and the, you know, the Old Testament. It's, that's true, right? But it's saying if, you, if you're hearing or some, some tradition, quote-unquote, comes out that doesn't, isn't rooted in the Scripture nowadays, that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking specifically about those things that have been handed down from the Lord, from Jesus Himself. So this is a believer, and that's right. again, it gets down to verse 14. He says, don't regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother, right? That, that, that this is a true believer. So we're not questioning salvation here, 
Um, the ultimate reality is, is none of us will know just by looking whether someone's a believer or not, right? We can get indicators. We can, we can see over a pattern of time, are they consistently walking in a godly manner and they slipped up? You know, if they, I didn't go there, there's a passage that talks about the pattern of those that are so-called brothers in the church and some of the sins there, but those sins are mostly in the heart and in the mind. They're not always in the actions, right? We can see someone who's unruly. We can see because they're out of line. There's, they're, they're standing against the church on a, on a doctrine or they're, they're doing something that you know they shouldn't. You know, you see an angry outburst or something like that. We can see that, but we can still say that's a brother, right? We, we are not in that position to say, oh, because you did that, you're not a believer anymore, right? And I think that, that is a good point to bring up. This is not Paul saying, oh, if you see someone that's unruly, that's not a, blo- a brother. Leave them by the wayside. Treat them like a Gentile, right? That's, that's going straight from the first step in, in Matthew 18 to the last step without anything else, right? Which I think is part of the reason why the, the church discipline process is not just a one person. I don't get to say, I'm putting you out of the church because you did what I thought was wrong. It needs to be multiple people are confronting and witnessing this sin. There's a, no pattern of repentance, no willingness to repent they're put before the church so that others can maybe speak up and say, no, this person is, I know this person is good, you know, that kind of thing. But after that, after the entire church has weighed in on it, basically to say that now they need to be treated as an unbeliever, we don't get to make that decision on our own, which is a good thing, right? Because there's some of us, sometimes we might uh, go the wrong way with that. And so, yes, we need to consider these people as believers as brothers, we just need to be careful, right? Again, there's, there's going to be a closeness in relationship with some, and those some that we're the closest to should be the ones that are walking faithfully with the Lord, that are serving faithfully in the church, that are encouraging and building us up to walk with the Lord and not those that are pointing out error, pointing out things they think they could do better, or things, areas they could serve maybe that the church isn't letting them serve or, you know, whatever it may be. We want to make sure we're careful about that. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, because we, we talked some more, that's great. And because I know I've got some more time next week, I'm going to cut short a little bit um, some of the other stuff I was going to do because we had a whole nother page to go through, two pages of my notes. Right, we're going to talk about Paul's example because really this whole passage, verses 7 through 13, is really a kind of a unified thought. And so it'll be easy for me to, to group that together. But I want, I want to read a couple of quotes just because as I study, quotes help me because I'm not the smartest person ever and I haven't thought every good thought that there ever is. And some of the men that have gone before us have, have been much deeper thinkers than I have. But I want to read a couple of quotes to you because I feel like these, these speak well and maybe give us some good application for our lives. So Matthew Henry says, The servant who waits for the coming of his Lord aright must be working as his Lord has commanded. If we are idle, the devil and a corrupt heart will soon find us somewhat to do. The mind of man is a busy thing. If he is not employed in doing good, it will be doing evil. It's an excellent 
but rare union. I love this. It's an excellent but rare union to be active in our own business, yet quiet as to other people's. Okay, I, my temptation, I think, for most kids is to point out the sin of their siblings <laughs> and ignore the sin of others, right? Jesus talks about that we spend a lot of time looking for tiny specks in other people's eyes while we have a big stick jabbing out of our own eyes, right? And we're ignoring that or we're blind to that. And I think that's what Matthew Henry is talking about there. To be active in our own business and yet quiet as to others. If you spend most of your time considering as you walk around the church, thinking about the people in the church, thinking about where that person's doing something wrong and that person's doing something wrong and that person's doing something wrong, and that, you probably are on the wrong path. And Martin Lloyd-Jones talked about Paul's heart, I think, in this statement. He says, The great concern of the New Testament epistles are not about the size of the church. It is about the purity of the church. And that is what Paul is teaching here. He's saying, Thessalonians, you're doing so good. Right? We have two books almost of Paul just praising them almost unceasingly for all the things they're doing well and how they're an example to everyone around. But he's so concerned for the purity of the church that he still wants to teach and confront these issues. Guys, Countryside is a great church. I love this church. It's, it's by God's grace, it's growing and it's, it's multiplying. It's not a perfect church. And so God's desire is that we would all be pursuing a faithful walk with Him that we would be about our own business, walking with the Lord, and then, yes, as need be, confronting, encouraging, admonishing those around us to walk faithfully with the Lord as well. But, but it, always with that spirit of gentleness that's in Galatians chapter 6. Always with a spirit of humility, realizing that I'm not perfect. I'm not coming saying, look at how bad you are. I'm looking and saying, oh, brother, let me help you. Let's work together on this. Let, that would be our, our heart and our attitude is my prayer. So let's pray. <coughs> Lord, we thank you so much for this passage. And Lord, even as we, we really consider just a, a small portion of this passage, we got to look at, at many other parts of the Scripture. Lord, help us to recognize your heart here. Lord, that as Paul is teaching us to avoid brothers who are out of line, who are not listening to the teachings and instructions of the Bible, Lord, help us first and foremost to be in line, to be following the teaching of the Scripture, that our lives would be holy lives, sanctified lives, that we would be an example to those around us, not just to a dying world of unbelievers, but that we would even be a faithful example to those inside the church. And Lord, we know that there's, there's no perfect church. Thessalonica was not a perfect church. Ephesus was not a perfect church. And Lord, Countryside is not a perfect church. But help us to desire, each one of us, to desire to walk with You that we can make this church, by Your blessing, a church that is honoring to You 
Lord, help us to keep the church pure. Help us to pursue righteousness and sanctification so that we might continue to be a church that can exalt you and can be an example for others. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.